turn in your Bibles really to John chapter, we're going to just start with John chapter 1 and then we're going to go back to the Old Testament, we're going to look at some things, then we're going to flip back to the New Testament and tie some things together and we're going to see it. Jesus Christ came to the earth to be born in Bethlehem to make a way really for us to come to God. It's a great time of the year, we think about Christmas, it's, gosh, it's like a week away, I can hardly wait. And anyway, this time of the year, we celebrate the birth of Christ. We enjoy this time, but we don't want to forget what it's all about. So we're going to think about some Old Testament stuff and tie it, tie it, tie it into it, the New Testament. So when we think about the Bible, we think about the greatest verse of all time is God so loved the world that he gave his son. And so we think about it and we say the greatest message of all is that God so loved the world, he sent his son Jesus Christ into the world to die and pay for sins, to rise again and to conquer death, and then one day to come back as the king. So we think of that. And why in the world would God send his son? Why does he have to send his son? Why? What about this baby in Bethlehem? Well, we think about it, that we're all made, we're all made in the image of God, and yet we're all fallen. There was the fall from Adam and Eve. All the way through there, mankind has fallen, and we need a savior. Ephesians 2 said we're dead in trespasses and sins. We need someone to take us from death to life. And so when we think about it, the baby born in Bethlehem is that one. He is the savior and the king. And when we think about it, Ephesians chapter 2, it talks about God being rich in his grace and mercy has provided a savior for mankind. We should never take it for granted. When we think about Christmas, I know that growing up as a little boy, I never went to church. We didn't go to church or anything, but I loved Christmas. I loved presents. I loved the tree. I loved the family. I loved everything. And the only Christmas aspect that I knew that was like Bible was we got it at school. We had a Christmas program. We had a Christmas play. And, my, and you know, and, and the, I remember the teacher sitting in the classroom reading Luke chapter 2 to all of us. Now, they don't, I don't think they do that today, right? But I can remember it, and I remember it saying, Lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and they were sore afraid. You know, it was King James, because there wasn't any other Bibles except King James Bibles then, you know, that you had. And so I remember all of that. But I, if you'd have said, Why did Jesus Christ come? I, I would not have known. But God being rich in his mercy has provided a savior. The story of Christmas is the Christmas of God becoming the savior, that Jesus Christ, the son of God. And we call this the incarnation because it's Jesus Christ becoming a human being, leaving the glories of heaven. I think about John 1, which says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So there he is. But down in verse 14 of John chapter 1, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We should never forget the fact that at a point in time in history, Jesus Christ, the eternal God, became a human being. And so we're going to look at some things now. If you're in the first service, that uh, this is going to tie together. In fact, it's going to be some of the same aspect, but I just want you to see something from a different view. You know, it's one thing about the Bible. You can look at truths in a lot of different ways. You can say it and say, I see it from this view. Then you look at this view. If you know, if you've ever had my uh, 2-2 class, we talk about all the different terms connected with salvation, like justification and imputation and propitiation and all of They all tie back into salvation. There are different ways of looking at it. So this morning, we're going to look sort of at an, a, a sort of a different way to look at what we're seeing. So I'm going to look at, we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the promise of the Messiah. We're going to look at the person 
of the Messiah. And we're going to see how all that ties together. And then we're going to look at the purpose. So let's start with the promise. And the promise goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. And if you remember that there was Adam and Eve in the garden. And of course his name was Adam and her name was Isha. And she didn't become Eve until after the fall. But they were in the garden. And she fell. And he fell. And God came and made a promise that through the woman, through the seed of woman, there would be a Messiah. All the way through the Old Testament, God promises a Savior and a Messiah. That's what it did. And that's, that's what we're looking for. And think about this. We've seen this many times. There was progressive revelation, the seed of woman to the seed of Abraham. And from Abraham came Isaac. And from Isaac came Jacob. And from Jacob came Judah. And from Judah came King David. And of course, when we think about King David, we think of the promise that David's son, would sit on the throne of Israel as the Messiah and the Savior. So that's why when Jesus was on the earth, and I remember when I first started reading the Bible, first started studying the Bible, I'd become a believer when I was 19, but I didn't really start growing until I was 25 or 26. And I remember reading, and they would say, Oh, son of David, have mercy on us. And I'd go, He's son of Joseph. I mean, I don't understand. I thought it was Joseph and Mary. Why are they calling him son of David? Because I didn't know that about the promise from the Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Judah to David. And so he is the son of David. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Here's what I want to do, and it's going to be a little bit unique. So here's what I want you to do. Just turn over to Isaiah 9. This is where we were in, in, in Sunday morning. So if you're in the first service, your Bible should open there, okay? If you're going to be in the second service, just kind of keep something there because we're going to be there in the second service as well. But I want you to see this. I want you to see six things about the Savior of the world. And we're going to see how basically the promises, this deals with the promises, and then we're going to see the fulfillment. Look at Isaiah 9, and you've heard me teach this before. If you were in the first service, you just heard me teach this. But notice Isaiah verse nine, uh, chapter 9, verse 6 says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. The government will be upon his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. It says here, a child will be born to us. So the first thing we realize is that this Messiah is going to be a human being. Isaiah 9, 6, the child is born. It's a, it's a person. It's a human being. And, and so the child is born. The one from God is a person. At a point in time in history, what the whole Christmas story is, is that God became a human being, which is almost beyond comprehension. God limited himself in a sense. The eternal son of God limited himself to become a human being. So in the very first thing we see that he's a man. We realize that this one to be a descendant of King David. That's why he's going to be David's greater son. He has to be a human being. He has to be a human being to pay for sin. And so the very first thing we see is that he's a man. Okay, but look at the next thing. The, and a son will be given to us. Now, the word son there is talking about the Son of God. He's always existed. Notice, and I brought this out in the first service, that the child is born, but the son is given. The son was not born. God has always existed. All right? The son was not born. He has always existed at, an eternal t at a point in time in history. He left the glories of heaven and became a human being. Now, well, this is weird when you think about this, that God, the eternal God, became a person. And so you've got the God-man. And so when you think about it, the child is born, that's a man. The son is given, that's God. So we got two things about the promise. He's going to be a man, and he's going to be God. But there's more. 
And then if we read a little bit further down, it says, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. And then down at verse 7, it says, and there will be no end to the increase of his government. So the third thing we see is he's a king. He's, he's actually the king of kings, the Lord of lords. The government will rest upon his shoulders. That means that he will rule the world. You know, we've been seeing the book of Revelation, and we see that this man of sin comes to power, and he becomes what we call the world ruler, and has the false prophet tell everybody to worship him, and he puts his idol up in the temple. He's controlled by Satan. He thinks he's the world ruler, and yet controlling everything, ultimately everything is God. And one day Jesus Christ, whoever this is, we'll say it's Jesus, of course, but this, the government will rest upon his shoulders. He will be the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and he will rule this world. And so when you look at it, the child is born, that's a man, the son is given, that's God, and the government will be on his shoulders, he is the king. Well, we find that's, that's, that is amazing. And then we're going to turn, and, and so he's a man, he's God, he's the king. Now, I want you, if you're in Isaiah chapter 9, just my Bible, you flip one page back, and you're to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. We could say this, wait a minute, so there's supposed to be a God-man coming into the world as the king. Well, there's been all kind of men born into the world, all kind of children born in the world. How do we know? How do we know which one will it be? How do we know? And, and think about it. If you think about the uh, seed of woman and the seed of Abraham and then Abraham and the seed of Isaac and the seed of Jacob and the seed of Judah and now the seed of David and David, David had a whole bunch of sons. How are we going to know which is the right one? How are we going to know who is the God man who's king? Well, Isaiah seven fourteen gives us the idea and it basically tells us a virgin a virgin will have a child. Isaiah seven fourteen says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, have you ever thought about, I didn't go into detail like this on, in the first service, but look at that verse for a second. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Now, he's talking to a guy named Ahaz. Here, the, Behold, a virgin. Now, this is a, a virgin, a, a, a basically a person who never had sexual relations, will be with child. Now, watch. Bear a son. Bear a son. That's humanity, so to speak. And she will call his name Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. He's the God man. Right there in that verse, you get this idea. It's not just any woman, but a virgin. One has not had relations. Now, let me just say something to you. That in the Bible, and you'll have some people come up to you and they'll say, that Isaiah seven fourteen is not right. And you say, what do you mean? It says the virgin shall conceive. And they'll say, well, in the Old Testament, the word Alma meant a young woman. That's the Hebrew word for virgin. It means young woman. Because in that time of the year, that time, uh, a woman who was a young woman was expected to be a what? A virgin. She wasn't supposed to have sexual relations with anybody. That's why it was such a big deal when Mary became pregnant before Joseph and Mary came together. People would say, what's wrong with her? You know. And so this says, a virgin shall conceive. Now some people will come up and say, no, no, no. It just says a young woman's going to have a baby. It's nothing special about it. Well, the people, the, when the Bible was written, this word Alma meant a virgin. But when the the Old Testament was put into Greek. The translators used the word parthenos for, vir for, for young woman, but the word parthenos means virgin. You've heard of the Parthenon? That was a place of virgins, or supposed to be. They weren't virgins, but they're supposed to be. But anyway, so it, the, the Bible is telling us that there's going to be a virgin, a person who never had sexual relation, she'll have a child, it'll be a son, 
and he'll call his name Emmanuel, God with us. So the, the child is born, that's a man. The son is given, that's God. The government's on his shoulders, that's a king. Born of a young girl, as a virgin. So, so far we got four things. That's the promises. And then, uh, I, and I'm going to turn there. You don't have to turn there. You can if you want to. Uh, the book of Micah. Jonah, Micah, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Jonah, Micah. If you, can, if you can find it in Micah chapter 5, listen to this. We all know that in Micah chapter 5 verse 2 that this is what it says. But as for you, Bethlehem, let me get a little further right here. That he's gonna be, this one's going to be born in Bethlehem. Whoever this is, whoever this man who is God, who is the king, who is born of a virgin, going to be born in Bethlehem. Because it says in Micah chapter 5 verse 2, But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephratah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth, one who will be the ruler in Israel. And his goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. These verses are powerful. Because what do we see in these verses? Bethlehem is a small town. And listen, everybody knew that. When King Herod, when, they, when the wise men came, and this is almost two years after Jesus was born, the wise men came from the east and said, where is he born king of the Jews? We've come to worship him. Well, Herod didn't know what to do, so he called in the religious leaders. And he said, where is the king, the Messiah, supposed to be born? And they said, Micah 5 too. They actually said, Micah, they wasn't divided in those days. They just said, Micah, where, and they quoted this verse in Bethlehem. And, and this verse says some, some really great things. It says, from you, Bethlehem, one will come forth, that's the man, the child, who will be the ruler in Israel, that's the king. So we got one being born in Bethlehem as the child, as the king. And then notice this, his goings forth from long ago, from the days of eternity, he's always existed. See, sometimes we, we read things so fast, we miss them. I mean, this one little verse says... That there's going to be a man who is God who will be the king born in Bethlehem. One verse. And so what have we seen so far? He's born in Bethlehem. So we got a man who is God, who is the king, born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem. We got one more thing. And it's also found in Micah chapter 5 verse 5. And I'm going to read it for you. It says, this one will be our peace. It means he brings the peace. He's the Savior. He's the one that brings the peace. There's one who brings peace uh, by faith. By faith we have peace with God. Just think about that. He will be our peace. He's the one that brings peace. Romans 5.1, having been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's just perfect. That's who he is. He's the Savior that brings peace. So let's stop and look at this. The promise. There's going to be a man. It's going to be a, it's going to be a, a, a little boy. He's going to be God. He's going to be the king. He's going to be born of a virgin. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. And he's the savior that brings peace to mankind. That's the prophecies. And that's the promises. So we say, wow, that's a lot of stuff right there. You know, that could narrow it down a little bit, couldn't it? You know, think about it. So let's talk about the person. And let's see how this fits. The one who would fulfill the promise. Paul writes in Galatians 4, 4, In the fullness of time, God brought forth his son, born of a woman that might be the redeemer for us. So I want you to turn, if you got Bibles with you, turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And we're going to see, are these six things, let me see if I can go back for a second. Uh, are these six things, are they fulfilled in Jesus Christ? Because that's the key, isn't it? Is he the right one? And so we're going to see 
what happened. Look at Luke chapter 1. Look at verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. Now, all we got here is there's the angel Gabriel, who, if you know Gabriel, you say, wow, that's the same Gabriel that came to Daniel some 500, 600 years ago. So this, this angel is old. Yeah, he's, he's an angel. He, he's going to always exist. And so this angel Gabriel, who we think is the messenger angel, was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. And notice the next verse. To a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, who was of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. So what do we find? We find a virgin. The virgin is engaged to Joseph, a descendant of David. And listen to what the angel says. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. And she said she was very perplexed about this statement. She kept wondering what kind of salutation it was. And the angel said to her, Don't be afraid. You have found favor with God. This is the virgin who's found favor with God. He goes on to say and said, You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call him Jesus. Now, she's a virgin. She's never had sexual relations. She's never had sexual relations with Joseph. They're engaged to be married. In fact, if you were going to not get married, you'd have to get a divorce. That's how it worked. We talked about it one time that when the people get engaged and they're betrothed, it's as good as married in that sense. They don't come together. But if they're going to separate, they have to divorce. And she's saying, wait a minute, I'm engaged to Joseph. You're telling me I'm going to have a baby. And, and, and it's a son, and I'm going to name him Jesus. And she basically says, how can this be? And he says, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. So what's the first thing we see? There's a virgin. That matches virgin, right? Well, let's see a little bit more. She's going to have a child. Look, it goes on to say, Behold, you'll conceive in your womb, and you'll bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. You're going to bear a son. So the message is, there's going to be a man. She'll have a child, a son. She's going to have a boy. She's going to have a boy. You know, a lot of people, in that day and time, you never knew what you were going to have. Unless an angel or God or somehow told you ahead of time. I mean, you know, Isaac knew that, his, that he was going to have sons and some of the others. But, but think about it, Mary, until this happened, she, she had no idea if he didn't tell her. I mean, they didn't go get ultrasounds, right? You know. So it's just amazing. And think of Elizabeth. Elizabeth was told, you're going to have a son. His name is going to be John. So there's a man. She's going to have a child, okay? And then, so here we got it. Now we got a man. The man and the virgin. And then notice as we continue on, it says, you shall bear a son and you shall name him Jesus. He's a savior. His name will be called Jesus. What does the name Jesus mean? Yeshua, it means Savior. That's what it means. I mean, if you were named Savior, somebody said, hey, what's your name? My name's Savior. Say, oh, okay, so apparently you're a Savior. I mean, that's your name. In that day and time, you gave names to people based on their character, based on their life. Sometimes, they were, sometimes their names changed. Before they were born, they get, sometimes parents gave them names, or when they first came out, they gave names, and as time went by, if they didn't fit that name, they gave them a different name. A lot of Jewish people had two names, Paul and Saul, Simon and Peter. You know, so, that, you know, they all had different names. Okay, so now we've got that he's a Savior. The name Jesus means Savior. So we've got he's a man, he's a Savior, born of the Virgin. So far, we're, so far we're doing pretty good. Then he goes on to say this, He will be great 
and be called the Son of the Most High. That means the Son of God. He's going to be God. So the next thing is, he will be the Son of the Most High. He'll be God. Wow. Now, how would you be, how would you feel if you're about 15 years old, maybe? Maybe you're 15. You could be 14. Maybe 15. You're engaged to get married because in that day and time, men usually were 19, 18, 17, 18, 19. Women were usually 14, 15, 16 when they got married. That's how they did it. So let's pretend you're 15 years old. Think about what you were like when you were 15. And God says to you, you're going to have a baby? And you go, I hope not. But, but you, I am? Yeah. And this baby is going to be the savior of the world. And on top of that, he will be the son of the Most High. Your baby will be the son of God. Wow. So now we've got man, God, virgin, savior. Everything's matching so far. Are we going to keep going? Well, we are. Because look what it goes on to say. He'll be great and be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. He's going to be a king. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David. She understands that because she's of the descendants of David. And her husband is a descendant of David. They knew that. But see, there weren't any kings. Why weren't there any kings? I mean, what happened after David and Solomon? When they went into captivity, they were taken off. And when they were brought back, they were ruled by somebody else. There weren't Jewish kings anymore. At least none that they thought about. And all they knew is that one day, there would be supposedly a king who would be the descendant of David, who would be the king of kings. And she's being told that your son, this one who is God, this one who is in person, this one is going to take the throne of his father David. He will reign, rule over the house or reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. He's the king of kings. His kingdom will never end, by the way. That's different than any king that's ever lived on the face of the earth. Every king who lived on the face of the earth died. And when you think about Solomon, some people think, well, maybe the promise was to Solomon, that the promise to David was to Solomon. Solomon was the king, but he didn't rule forever. He died. Wow. A man, God, king, virgin, savior. We're only missing one thing. What is that? Bethlehem. So he's a man who also is God, who will be the king, who will be born of a virgin, who will be the savior of the world. All we need is Bethlehem. Well, let's look at Luke chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 1. Now, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. And this is what's supposed to happen. They got, they got to go. And so this was the first census while Quirinius was governor. Everybody had to go to his own city to register. Can you imagine that? Now, think about it. You think, well, that's no big deal. Yes, it is. Everybody who grew up who was descendant of people from Bethlehem, no matter where they lived, had to go back to Bethlehem. How many people would that be? How many people grew up in Jerusalem and all these people came back there? Think about it. That's why when they got there, there's no room anywhere. There's not any room with relatives. You'd say, well, they got to have relatives there if, they, if they're from Bethlehem. You know, if they're a descendant of David, surely there's some relatives. There's no room. They get back, the place is completely full. And they said there was no room for them in the inn. They, they might not have wanted to stay inside that inn. It might have been better for them to be outside where they were. 
And so they get to where it says, Joseph went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Bethlehem is what it actually says. Bethlehem means house of bread. That's Hebrew. And because he was the family and the house and the family of David. But watch what happens. In order, why to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him with child. And while they were there, oh my gracious, while they were there, the, ba- the, the days were completed for her to give birth. She gives birth where? In Bethlehem. And she took her firstborn son, she wrapped him in cloths, laid him in a manger. There was no room for them in the inn. And so what happened? They, they go to Bethlehem. Luke chapter 2. They get there. The baby was born. And then out... There's these shepherds, and an angel came and told them, don't be afraid, I got good news, great joy to all people. That's one of my favorite parts of the Bible. Good news, great joy to all people. It's good news because it's the gospel, it's great joy because the results is eternal life, and it's to all people. Anyone who would believe. He goes on to say, born today in the city of David, there's been born for you, now watch this, a Savior who is Christ the Lord, the Messiah, the Savior is there. You'll find this baby wrapped in cloth, lying in a feed trough. And then there were other angels. They all came. The city of David, the Savior, who is God, who is a baby. He's man. He's God. He's the Savior. He's in the city of David. Does that ring a bell? It does. They all match. The prophecies would be a man, he's a man. He'd be God, he's God. He'd be the king, he'd be the king. Be born of a virgin, born of a virgin. Born in Bethlehem, born in Bethlehem. Savior brings peace, Savior who brings peace. That's who our Jesus is. And we have seen the promises, and we've seen the person. So why? Because this is the third part. What's the purpose? Why would God do this? Understand the reason God sent his son into the world. Number one, God wanted to show his love for us. What does the Bible say? God so what? Loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He loves us beyond all we could imagine. When you look at your life, when you look at yourself, we realize we're all sinners and come short of God's glory. We don't deserve to be with God. In fact, we never really measure up. If we said to ourselves, I'm going to try to be good for God, you can't be good for God. You keep messing up. Every time you turn around, you say, I don't. I tried to do it, but I couldn't do it. And we over and over. And so if we really looked at it, we'd say, how could God love me? And God says, I love you beyond what you could imagine. In fact, I so loved you, I sent my son, to die for you. God wanted to show his love for us. God demonstrates his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In this is love. Not that we love God, but God loved us, sent his son to be the satisfactory payment for our sins. God wanted to show his love for us. There's a second thing. God wanted to save mankind. He didn't save angels when they fell, but he wants to save man when we fail. And he so loved the world that he gave his son In Galatians 4, 4 and 5, at the fullness of time, God brought forth his son born of a woman that he might redeem us. 1 John 2, 2, he is the satisfactory payment, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. That's who he is. So we realize that God brought forth his son born of a virgin, dying, rising again to pay for sin. So why would he do it? Because he loves us. And by the way, Jesus is the only way. This is what I love. Everybody out there is religious. You're going to talk to a lot of religious people. You're going to talk to people who believe all kind of weird things. And the truth is, there's only one truth. 
And Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and the one comes to the Father said through him. There are people out there who will say, well, you can believe in Jesus. We, we got our way. There is only one way. Every other way is works. Every other way is doing something. The only way to God that's right is Jesus Christ. And you can stand up, and, and when you stand up and you say it, there will be a lot of people who will be angry and hate you for saying Jesus is the only way. Second, and that, that, that's the unbelieving world. You'll also find people who claim to be believers or who are about believers, but they won't accept the fact that you believe Jesus is the only way. I did, read a study the other day that it said 64% of evangelical Christians say that Jesus is not the only way to God. What do you think about that? We'd say that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. You, you say you believe in Jesus Christ, and what does he say? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Well, I don't believe that. What do you mean you don't believe that? If I came some Sunday, and I might, and just read you some statistics of the latest polls on people in churches, they call themselves evangelicals. We don't know what that means. It could mean they're believers. It may mean they're not believers. I don't know. You would not believe some of the things that they believe. Most of them do not believe, that most of them, about 70% believe the Bible has errors in it. It's just a book to go by. There's a whole group of them that say that Jesus isn't the only way to heaven. There are all other ways. God has got a lot of ways for people to come to heaven. We don't believe that. We believe he's the way, the truth, and the life. And salvation is simply by Jesus Christ. He's the only way. And so, why, why, you know, understand this. Why salvation is not by works, it's simply by faith. So let me give you two quick applications, and then we'll just go to our grow groups. Uh, let's understand the real meaning of Christmas. It is that God showed his love, and he wants to provide a way of salvation. That's what Christmas is all about. Think about it. The story of Christmas, of the baby being born in Bethlehem, is not a cute little story. I mean, that's the story I knew. I remember, let me tell you what I thought. I remember reading the, or hearing the story of when Jesus was born, there was a star. So I went outside, and I looked at all the stars, and I said, well, those stars must be for everybody that's born. Every time somebody's born, there's a new star. I mean, what did I know, Right? But the great truth is this, God sent his son to provide a way for us to have salvation. That's what it's all about. That's why the baby is born in Bethlehem. That's why the baby is born of a virgin. That's why the baby is a king. That's why he's a man, and that's why he's God. And that's all of those truths. The second thing is believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life. I, I mentioned it in the first service. Because I don't always know everybody who's here, maybe somebody visiting. But listen, if, if you've never believed in Christ for eternal life, today is the day. Today's the time. This is the time of the year in which you understand that the baby born in Bethlehem is not just a cute baby. The baby born in Bethlehem is the Savior of the world who grew up and died on the cross to pay for our sins, your sins, my sins, and rose again, conquering death, and offering as a gift eternal life. And anyone who believes in Jesus gets eternal life. And when I say believe in Jesus, I mean to believe that he offers to you the gift of eternal life. That's his offer. His offer is, I will give you eternal life and you will be with me forever. When you believe that, you have eternal life. I hope and pray all of us have believed in Christ for eternal life.